Welcome back to Whitgift Conversations. This is the podcast where we talk to staff, parents and pupils about topics that are relevant to you. In this episode, we're speaking to Mr. Oz Barty. He's the head of Ideatum in school. Now, you might be wondering what that is. I know that I was. So it's a critical thinking and personal development subject. And if you're still wondering what that means, then stick with me, because in this episode, I ask Oz to explain exactly what it is, how it actually looks in everyday school life, what that means for the boys there, and also how to include this wonderful word, ideatum, into life at home. There's a good chance you'll learn something on this episode. I know that I did. So join me right now as we step into a conversation with the head of ideatum. It's Oz Barty. Oz, thank you for joining us and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? No, not a problem at all. And thank you for having me, first and foremost. I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you, Simon? Very well indeed, thanks. Very well. I'm, I'm delighted you're here giving up your time and talking to us, especially on a Wednesday afternoon. I know how busy your diaries can be there. But we're going to be learning all about you in your role as head of Ideatum. I'm dying to know more about that to find out what that is. But I wonder, Oz, first of all, just tell us actually what a typical Wednesday looks like for you these days. Yes, of course. Well, um, I'm a teacher of art and design in addition to my role as head of Ideatum. So I do a few different things within my day. So coming here to, to speak with you this afternoon. I've just fresh out of a, a year 10 art lesson where we've been drawing and working our way on looking at the natural world, for example. And earlier that morning, I was indeed teaching a year nine ideatum lesson where students were, were really thinking about some, some core questions about them and their, their worlds, their lives. So my day is somewhat of a, a cocktail of different things. Awesome. And of course, it's, it's impossible to have favourite year groups in school it's a bit like you know asking someone to name their favorite child in a, in a family situation <laughs> but tell me about some of the benefits of teaching some of the pupils in sort of year nine or year ten like you just talked about i have to say one of the the major aspects of of teaching in those two areas is the idea of students' personalities and characters coming to the forefront. And you do see that, of course, older, uh, higher up in the school or lower down in the school as well. But by that kind of year nine era, they've really developed a healthy understanding of who they are, what they like, what they dislike as well. Um, they're interested in challenging you in a, in a good way and you get to know them far more. So I like that I get to, to know the individual. Okay, now Oz, I wonder whether you can tell us a little bit about your own upbringing, about whether or not you grew up in the Croydon area or whether you came from somewhere different. Yes, indeed. So I am from Croydon so, and I've lived here virtually all of my life or in the surrounding areas anyway. I went to a very similar school uh, in the Croydon area, not Whitgift, but a similar school. Um, and then I moved away when I went to university to, 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 to complete my bachelor's in fine arts. And then I moved back to London to complete my uh, teacher training degree and then my master's degree as well, actually. So I know Croydon very well. <laughs> And where did you go to university for fine art? So I went to the University of Chichester and then the School of Fine Art within the university. Um, and, I, and I hold a fine art degree, but I specialised in painting. Gosh, so it's interesting talking to you about this because for the sake of people who are listening, I, I, I can see you on this recording, which we're carrying out online in this world of 
post-COVID onlineness, if there's such a word. But talking to you, you you're, you're wearing a very smart shirt. You're wearing a tie as well. You've got glasses on and a very smart haircut. To me, you don't like look like the the classic art teacher in school. <laughs> no, not not how I'm dressed currently. But when I put the apron on, that's covered in paint splashes and all sorts of things. You really do get that kind of stereotypical classic art teacher look. Or when I went home oh, last fantastic. week and ended up with paint down the side of my leg and having not realised all day that it was there. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Then you're actually uh, looking like the art teacher as well. Now, Oz, <laughs> you're head of ideator. Well, first of all, let's talk about the word ideatum. W- where did that word even come from? And, and am I pronouncing it in the right way? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So you are pronouncing it the right way, although there are arguably a variety of ways you could pronounce it. So it's a, um, a word we use to describe a new subject here or to title a new subject here at Whitgift. And um, the British pronunciation is ideatum with a harsh A, if you will. And the American pronunciation is ideatum. And actually, when I was considering the the title the name for this subject i had this internal monologue of well, what do we call it and once i'd settled on the word i kid you not i spent days and days questioning well should we speak about it in the british pronunciation should it be the american which sounds nicer to the ear and then it's a, a word that comes from latin so then that was another one i had to think about do we pronounce it with the latin root or not so the british pronunciation ideatum absolutely we've got ideatum the american and then ideatum being the latin root as well so it's a a mixture of different things there very good how exciting okay so i wonder then if you can tell us a little bit about what the word actually means but then more importantly what it means in the wonderful world of whitgift yes of course so ideatum itself is a a word embedded in epistemological philosophy so the the study or the philosophical examination of knowledge or knowledge acquisition um, so it marries together the internal monologues that we have to to gain knowledge and the external world so where that knowledge comes from or how we use that knowledge in our actions for example and the word ideatum itself is exactly that it's the objective truth or reality or manifestation in the real world of our knowledge that correlates to our mind's value, principle uh, or belief system. So we could exemplify it through the value of respect for example uh, we could think about respect in a in a in, in, in an internal manner but to every individual that will manifest slightly differently that could be holding a door open for someone if we think about something very day-to-day it could be supporting somebody or it could be standing up for an injustice for example challenging discrimination for example so it's how you take the value and you manifest it how you create it how you foster it within the world. Gosh, right. So if I'm listening to this then, and maybe I'm of a certain generation, let's put it that way, where I've got a very traditional view of what school is about, where you go to school and you learn about maths and English and history and things like that. This this is a very different kind of way of learning. But just tell me a little bit then about how that actually actually looks on a day-to-day basis in school. I mean, is this something which is sort of filtered through all parts of school life? Or is this something where people will engage with this, say, at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon? So it's a little bit of both, actually. So it's a timetabled subject and it's taught across the breadth of the school, but it also is transferable. So we pick up the skills in lots of different ways. So in a typical ideatum lesson, we're empowering students to 
take charge of their learning, to be critical, to question social issues around them or to question introduced themes. So whilst the the teacher is in the room with them and engaging in discussion, if anything, they're not teaching. I I use a kind of inverted commas there. What they're doing is facilitating. They're fostering that curiosity within young people to actually self-solve or to question, to discuss, to debate, to build a, a judgment. And the teacher is there to contribute to that. That's a kind of lesson side of things. But if we think about where it comes through the rest of school life, it's those transferable qualities, those transferable skills that are so important in life, whether that be your organisation or your ability to respect the opinions of others, for example, your ability to process criticism or when you're when you're wrong and be able to take that as a, a learning opportunity, which obviously we get in every aspect of learning and academics and student teacher relationships. Gosh, so, so I'm smiling while you're talking about all of this, because in many ways, I'd love to be back at school. <laughs> learning about exactly this, because this is very different to that traditional view of what coming to school and learning is all about. Where did this idea for this come from? Well, the kind of concept of PSHE, Personal Social Health Economic Education, has been increasing in importance within the education sector for, for quite a few years. And Whitgift's reflection of that was, why don't we take that importance? Why don't we take it and run with it? Why don't we make it entirely something Whitgift in itself? So we decided that there would be quite a significant, or the school decided there'd be quite a significant reimagining of what PSHE, as it formerly was, could be and how we could enhance that profile, how we could add in a strand of academic challenge to meet the needs and support and challenge the students that we have here at Whitgift. And it was something that intrigued me actually that we could that we could work in this way that we could empower young voices in such a way and it married where uh, alongside me doing my master's degree as well so I did my master's degree recently part-time over the course of, of two years and I focused on the role of voice within the classroom and how if we empower the student to have the confidence to question even when they're right about something, but to further probe into an area or to question when they don't know something, we are giving them the tools to build a love of learning, to to be critical in a modern day and to, to form their own personas, if you will. I see, I see. And your master's degree, tell me a bit more about that, because it sounds to me like your master's degree is a contributing factor in you you taking a lead in the ideatum in the first place? Yes, absolutely. So I, I completed it fairly recently, um, only a couple of years ago, and I undertook it at the Institute of Education, which is part of UCL. And it's the, the forerunner within the industry or within the education industry for educational research. And it's always been a strand that I've been interested in, I'd say, ever since I've become a teacher. To me, teaching is, of course, about knowledge and passing on knowledge and building a love of learning and curiosity within the individual. But it's the relationships that we remember. When I look back on my time in school, I remember the teachers that I, I built a strong relationship, the fun teachers, the teachers you could chat to, the teachers you could share opinions with. And you respected the fact that they could challenge you on certain things and they contributed to making you a better individual. And I think that's only something you really reflect on when you're when you're older, when you're not at school at the time. I'm sure it doesn't feel like that, mm. or not always anyway. 
so it was all kind of part of the parcel, I suppose. But the master's degree definitely did feed into it. I, I find sociology, education, um, psychology, for example, why we act or say the things we do, absolutely fascinating, knowing more about the human mind. And you say that the master's contributed to where you are right now, but tell me more about your experience of life within Whitgift. Actually, how long have you been at Whitgift for, first of all, Oz? I've been here for, for quite a few years now, actually. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I, but I came straight to Whitgift from my PGCE, and I have been here ever since, actually. So I joined as a teacher of art and design, a newly qualified teacher, and got my newly qualified status whilst here. And since then, I've held a variety of roles and, and responsibilities. Um, namely, I kind of moved into the pastoral structure of the school as an assistant head of year and then a deputy head of year when I was working with year eight and, and year nine, or rather the um, second form and third forms. And then I uh, moved over to being a head of year for first form, so that's year seven. And I held that role for, for three academic years. So I've very much kind of concentrated my time in the junior aspect of the school, I suppose you could say. And you're no longer head of year anymore, though, is that right? Yes. So now I've I've stepped away from that area of school life. And actually, it was something I was really sad to, to step away from. But in place, taking on this role as, as head of Ideatum. And if anything, particularly now that I'm researching, planning, resourcing everything that Ideatum is or will be as it grows within the curriculum as well, I can see so many transferable links between what being ahead of year was for me as an individual and what I hope ideating to be for the school community as well. That idea of empowering the individual, encouraging discussion debate, helping them form a, a set of values and for them to be critical of those values and want to uphold others to those values. So all of those 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 elements really do kind of marry true in my current role as well as, as well as my previous roles. And when this concept was first introduced to school life and the idea of it was shared with parents, how did that go down with parents? I mean, did parents understand what it was all about? I would say that it's been a, uh, first and foremost, it's been hugely supportive response to the introduction of Ideatum, and particularly with new or potential parents as well. So for open morning, open evening, for example, I've had my own Ideatum room as such, where I've been able to exhibit the subject and talk to people about what it is and, and how we're teaching these skills and how we're encouraging um, engagement within these discussions from the young people that we have here at Whitgift. And the support has, like I said, been been so so positive that p parents, of course, want the very best for their for their children, the very best for them, and and as do we as teachers. You wouldn't go into education otherwise. And a subject like this, I think everybody would agree that the benefits of it, the things that you learn through it, the cross transferable skills, soft skills, if we use that term, they are of utmost importance and benefit to their future lives. Okay, so let's say then that I'm a parent and I'm listening to this podcast episode right now and I'm thinking to myself, right, this is all well and good that this is happening in school, but maybe I'd like to extend this a little bit and, and bring this concept of ideatum into the home. What sort of conversation starters could I initiate around the dining table with my children and with my husband or with my wife at the time to carry this on? I think if anything, you could use quite a simple word, actually. You could kind of summarise it with the word why, 
or how even, just those two kind of words, you'd be surprised at how much a young person already has a view, whether that's cemented, a cemented view, or whether that's an early view. And it's just having not necessarily the confidence to question it, but just that curiosity to question it. So so why do you think that? Or how have you come to think that? I think I'd read two really powerful sentences and some some young people stop and really think about it and actually realise that they don't necessarily know why they think like that or they begin to examine their own experiences or what they've seen online that's informed them consciously or subconsciously. Or on, on the flip side of that, you find that young people have really thought through views and opinions already and of increasingly mature values. So by mature, what I mean is things like uh, the political system, for example, or ideals of justice, you'd be, it's really fascinating and surprising, even as an experienced teacher, that young people reflect on these things. I don't think we necessarily give them the credit <laughs> that we, we that, they're, that they're doing this. Uh, it's interesting you say that because I was just about to ask whether we as adults tend to overlook the uh, the fact that you know the young people in our lives do have these um, opinions and these views on different things. I'm guessing it would be good for us to to be able to unpack that more so with our children. Yes, absolutely. I think obviously children learn from their surroundings children first of all learn from their parents the relationship they have with with their parents the relationship they have with their siblings but as soon as they move on from the home they're learning from so many other avenues whether that be school or whether that be their peers or whether that be things they see on tv or on social media and we're living in an age you said it even earlier on that we're living in in a digital age and that is so true that the that people are engaging with the internet which is the world's knowledge at their fingertips from an earlier and earlier age so being able to bring them into that discussion and getting them to think about that I think is a really fascinating thing. I always use the example to, to students that I don't personally believe I'm all that old, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I remember not having a phone when I was young. I remember my first phone, the Nokia 3210, and how much of a big deal that was within technology. I remember dial-up or dial-tone when you, when you wanted to get onto the internet and check something. So all of those things that they are just shocked by because they are so used to the iPad or the iPhone, the Android, whatever it might be that they can tap away at and find out whatever they want with relative ease. Now, you mentioned about when you were younger there and without knocking your previous school at all, I'm I'm going to presume, rightly or wrongly, that this isn't something that you learned, the, the ideatum isn't something that you learned when you were at school. If that's the case, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, in what way do you think it may have changed you as a person to have learned this as a, as a young boy yourself? It, it definitely wasn't something that I, I learned whilst I was at school. And I think, if anything, like I say, with education, it's always developing. And this is something, this is a modern conversation that we're having, empowering young people. I think if I had that when I was at school, I probably would have been increasingly critical. And I don't mean critical in the sense of negative, but I mean critical in the sense of inquiring. I may be being more informed about or questioning as to why I know certain things or why I believe certain things. I think from my other passion, obviously having a, a fine art degree and being very interested within the visual arts, I probably 
experienced a form of ideatum through that passion because artists have always questioned the world around them. They've always had those difficult conversations visually. So perhaps from my love of, of, of art and the visual world and now my love of all things kind of soci sociological or, or, uh, or psychological, for example, they were always interlinked in there. I don't, don't really know. That's incredible. It really is. And in fact, the more that I'm talking to you about this, the more I'm realising there's even more questions that I could ask you about it. But uh, time is coming to an end and that means our podcast episode is going to be coming to an end. But let's just imagine as a very last question, if, if I was a parent and I've been listening to this and I'm thinking, gosh, that's opened up a, an absolute barrel load of questions for me. How could somebody get in touch with you to find out more about this? Yes. Well, first and foremost, any, any current parents within the school do speak to your sons <laughs> they are they are uh, the, the the most important factor of an ideatum lesson their engagement is the most important factor and and do ask them what it is that they've they've covered in that week's session and i know parents are doing that i've had emails from parents who who have had those discussions at home and have been surprised by not necessarily the views that their sons have had but the fact that they've had the forum in which to discuss these things and to unpack these these issues and often these are quite sensitive issues. Um, but also we've had that overwhelming support, like I say, from parents where they've seen the value in it. They know that whilst the subject is, of course, um, entrenched in personal development, there's the academic strand that runs throughout it, that academic strand of critical thinking, independent thinking, for example. And that complements every other dimension of the, the academic puzzle of school, if you will, that will feed into their inquiring mind in science or maths or history or whatever it might be. So, so, so we've certainly had that support there. In terms of wanting to continue the discussion, obviously, as a member of staff, I'm always an email away and I'm always looking to hear from, from parents who have suggestions or ideas or, or feedback about it. It's a, a new subject and one that we are tailoring. We are refining it as we go along and as we move through the years. We know it's definitely part of our curriculum and proudly part of our curriculum. It's here to stay and we want to make it as fruitful as possible. And with it being a tailored Whitgift initiative, we're able to tailor it to our diverse student body. We're able to tailor it to the fact that we are an independent school living in, in modern times and in a, in a cost of living crisis, for example. We're able to tailor it to the fact that we're a single sex school and all of the, the social questions that that will raise as well. And then for prospective parents, if they visit the website, that's whitgift.co.uk, then they can go there and probably best if they get in touch with the admissions team to ask them any other questions about this? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So our admissions team have had a wealth of information from myself about Ideatum, what it is, um, how it's come to, to being and what it is we want to be in the future and everything that your son, should he come and join us at Whitgift, would be experiencing. And not only that, but the questions you can then follow up with at home. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Oz, thank you so much for your time. It's been great hearing all about Ideate and been great hearing about empowering young voices. I wrote that down as well as you said that. Uh, but thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Perfect. Like I said at the very beginning, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So, Ideatum. Now you know what it is. But more importantly, hopefully now you also know what that means for the boys at Whitgift. Oz, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed learning all about this. But that's it for this episode. Our next episode is coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.